Hi, I'm Tony Karen Brown. And I'm Benedict Evans. And today we wanted to talk about maybe all of the things that we're potentially not paying attention to that are happening in the tech space, because there's a lot of noise coming out of Elon Musk, Twitter, FTX. I feel like that's the only two things that everyone is reporting on right now. Yes, I, I did a presentation a few weeks ago for a big company that I won't say the company's name, but it was kind of, um, instead they said, we are broadcasting you live to, to our metaverse, but instead of meta, they inserted their company. Um, so it was like to the the generalverse or, you know, the newsverse <laughs> or the, the Disneyverse. It, was, it wasn't Disney. Um, and I, no, we're definitely in the Muskverse, I think. Um, oh yeah so we're living where he's living rent free and way too many uh, yeah, people's heads, which look some of the conversation is interesting but right now it feels very noisy and yeah. you and i definitely had this conversation of crap it feels like there's actually some really interesting stories here that we are potentially completely missing there is yes and i thought it seemed to me there's like you know there's a longer conversation to have around chips which i think have become strate strategically yes. interesting to the rest of tech for the first time in a very long time um, like beyond that, beyond just Apple, um, but it felt like it felt like there's like half a dozen or a dozen things that it's just interesting. Kind of hey, well, how, let's look at this and let's look at that and let's poke around. Um, and so we wrote sort of a list of things, and so we thought, well, there's chips in China and there's generative ML and connected TV and smart TV platforms and merchant media and TikTok and a few other things. Um, but I was going to start with Anchor. Yeah, let's go for it. Well, so Anchor is. Um, I would guess some portion of people on this listening to this will know Anchor makes chargers and batteries for phones, battery packs and chargers, basically, and a few other things. And they have built a business entirely on Amazon, or almost entirely on Amazon, on Amazon Marketplace. And looking up the numbers, they are now about a $1.7, $1.8 billion company mm. um, with 50 or 60% gross margins and 10% net income because all the rest of the money is going to a combination of Amazon and advertising. And it's kind of an interesting case study here because something like 30 or 40% of the top Amazon marketplace sellers are actually Chinese companies. Mm. And there's a narrative that Amazon has got Chinese manufacturers to bypass their Western brand customers and go direct. So these are basically plants that would have been making something for Muji or Macy's or, you know, pick an American brand or European brand, they would have been making it for that. And now they go, now they go direct with their own and create, try and create their own brand and go direct. And, you know, you could, you could actually situate Xi'an somewhere in that story, although Xi'an is basically doesn't have its own plants. Um, but a lot of Xi'an's suppliers, apparently, are companies that were fed up with Amazon's terms and conditions. And Xi'an came to them with a better offer. So Xi'an has sort of unbundled Amazon, perhaps. I don't know how true that is, but that's the story I've read. Yeah. And Anchor, again, has gone direct. Anchor has identified this market opportunity for chargers and cables and batteries and, you know, gallium arsenide chargers that have four sockets, so you only need to pack one instead of four of them. And when you go away and your iPad and your laptop and your phone and so on, and they build a great business. Um, you know, you could argue about how great it is at a 10% margin, 8% margin, but they built a two, two, getting on for $2 billion, will be $2 billion this year, um, entirely on Amazon Marketplace, which I think is, and that incidentally makes them about half the size of Logitech, um, just as a kind of, as a, as a point of comparison for, in the accessories business. Um, and I just think there's like, you know, rather like Shin, there's going to be dozens and dozens and dozens of these companies around the sort of the higher level point is everything about the channel and the go to market and the media 
filters through which a brand would get to market have been blown apart everything about the supply chain the entire kind of value chain whether you think about the supply chain or whether you think funnel has been kind of blown apart and so you're going to have all these sorts of interesting new companies being created one way and another um another interesting thing here is um xiaomi which has we sort of know i mean we don't really pay attention it was it was a big deal a couple of years ago making sort of mid-range phones and kind of copying apples all of apple's ui but what xiaomi has also done is sort of built like a muji of consumer electronics making like drills and air purifiers and um like electric heaters and toasters and things rice cookers all that kind of stuff like you know consumer electronics rather than consumer computers um, electricals i would say rather than electronics um and of course they don't make any of it themselves but of course now you start seeing other people trying to create their own brand selling like the nice the instagrammable version or set. the tiktok version the, yes the, the, exactly the instagrammable electric drill crazy the instagrammable diy yeah. tool, home toolkit but it's the it's the home toolkit is you kind of you know it's what's this phrase adulting you everybody does kind of need a home toolkit and do you go to the hardware store or well here's a here's an instagrammy home toolkit there's also like a the other word here is premiumization not the same that's what um ESOP's trying to do. There's like there's so many places where you take what was basically a commodity product or a non-luxury product and try and add add a premium tier where where you add a nice brand and a nice case and you charge eighty dollars for fifty dollars worth of hardware. And it's funny because it's like a premium tier for a product that really does not need a premium tier. But I also attach that to like the the UI friendly thing of just you look at something and yeah. it feels overly complex and you look at this and go, oh, this is simple. There's like a three step process of like how to use my drill. Got it. Understood. Off we go. Yeah. Well, that's also, I mean, I, what, you know, what, what, what ASOP have done on the one hand is they've got these sort of architect design stores where each one of them is unique. And on the other hand, they hired a graphic designer to, the, to do the bottle and it isn't green and purple with lots of drop shadows and swooshes. It actually looks nice. So it's like it's a nice thing you would like to have in the shell. You know, I'm sure there's people who buy one Aesop bottle and then just refill it with Pantone. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I've definitely done that in my life. In my lifetime. Um, the other thing that's interesting tied to that is also just how much information we have today. Of just, um, it it used to be that you would absolutely need an Amazon or a Best Buy to go and to tell you what are the four mm. or five best cameras that you should be looking at. And we all we now have all of that information at our fingertips. We can just Google what are the products that we should be looking to, which makes sense yes. that like Anchor can sell direct to consumers. You're showing your age with the idea of buying a camera. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say I've been on planes a lot in the last couple of months and like quite I, I would like to know what is the point that all the electronic shops in airports stop selling cameras. It was quite recently but suddenly there are no cameras in airports. You cannot buy a camera in an airport. And I'm not quite sure. I wonder when that was. But it was oh, quite really? Recently. Yeah, yeah. You cannot. Oh, that it. has you, to be recent. You like can't. three, there four are, years. There are no cameras in the, those stores in airports anymore. That's very recent. And there's a, a whole rabbit hole. We could go down. Like, I can show you the chart of the collapse of consumer camera sales. But there's a thread here of like, here is this company that goes selling direct from China through Amazon and that's premium made a premium segment out of cables and charges um, that's here is Shein selling bundling up short run manufacturing going direct not through amazon going direct to consumers and selling in this way here is shopify 
allowing hundreds and thousands of companies to unbundle and go direct. In the Anchor case, is, 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 is Amazon bundling or unbundling? Because they're sort of unbundling Home Depot and Best Buy. Um, and they are bundling and up in a new way. Where would Anchor, how would Anchor have gone to market in the past through Best Buy? Now they don't, now they go direct through Amazon. Um, and so the well, kind of a lens that I sort of have, sort of a slide I have sort of had talking about this is like that in the past you had, it, basically there was more product than you can buy. But since the industrial revolution for the sake of argument, yeah. but there's limited space in the retailer and there's limited space in Vogue or how to spend it or whatever the magazine or whatever, you know, outdoor life or whatever, or the car or take, whatever the magazine is that you would be using to find out about this. Yeah. Now, whatever the space, whether it's physical yeah, or in a magazine. There's or, now, yeah. well, both. There's now infinite media and infinite retail space. And so as both a consumer and as a company that's a problem and an opportunity and for the company it's also an opportunity because you have this sort of blank canvas for creating new brands or for an existing brand how do you find customers how do you talk to customers how do people know you exist how do they know that you might you might want that thing whether that's the thing you already want or creating demand for some new thing like you know a premium toolkit it's also interesting because that the opportunity that came out of that, and I remember like two years ago, we had a conversation around this about just like the, the power of listicles in this space um, and how mm -hmm. the amount of tech um, magazines or tech coverage flipped to that of just like, yeah, this is how we're going to make some money. Like, let's create a shit ton of listicles. This is Wirecutter, which sold yes. really well. Brian Lamb probably could have got a lot more money for that if he'd held on, but I think he felt differently. Um, but it's also, I mean, I, I did it. I, so I have a trend, a chart I often show of Google Trends for best versus cheap. Where cheap is going down and best is going up over oh, the last 15 years. Interesting. The point being that you used to use the internet for price comparison. You knew what you wanted, you went to the internet and searched cheap. And now you go to the internet and search best because you want to know what to get. You're using the internet for recommendation and, and curation. I've used this chart for ages. You must have seen it. You just obviously just don't pay attention to myself. I've never, I, I, it's never. But yeah, but when you put charts, there's like 60 charts to digest, Benedict. <laughs> busted. <laughs> but but uh, Tony, you're, you're, you're busted. You did not leave last year's presentation. <laughs> you mean all 160 um, slides? Um, oh, but I love that. So I just did a look for Google Trends for right now. Have you seen how every fucking thing is like the restaurants to eat at right now? now? That fear of missing out. The weird thing is I did the search and um, actually all the, it's all people saying, what time is it right now? What time is it right now in New York? What that's because that's clearly what that is, the, the pattern. Um, so I didn't, but I was hoping I'd get a chart showing this like it'd been come it shot up in the last couple of years, but it hasn't. It's, it's been around. There's there's another tie to another theme that we should chat about based on everything that you've just shared there. I saw this, I saw this um this morning, which was according to Deloitte, 60% of Gen Z and 56% of millennials will do at least some of their holiday shopping live on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, which I thought was mm. really interesting looking at how social media has become sort of the starting point to create mm. more exposure for all of these brands, but also this idea that we want to, this seamless like browse to buy shopping mm. experience. And it's it's been interesting to watch TikTok go into this, Instagram go into this, YouTube shorts go into this, Twitch taking over like in-stream shopping experiences. Mm. And I just thought that was fascinating. 60% of Gen Z is massive in terms of just like your Christmas shopping, that part of it is going to be done on social media apps. Well, part of this is, you know, the Don, the John Dillinger quote, which apparently he didn't actually say that some, this, is a, this was a, a bank robber in the Great Depression and someone asked him, why do you rob banks? And supposedly he said, because that's where the money is. 
Like, you dummy. Like, well, what, what else would I want? I'd want the banks because that's where the money is. And so why do people do, why do people shop on social? Because that's where the time is. Um, as a bit of that, there's, there's also obviously different discovery paths, like, you know, I discovered the shop that sells, you know, 60s, 70s Italian glass in the West Village that, I'm gonna, that I've discovered on Instagram. And I'm going to go down there and have a look later. Um, but there's also... Um, there's also that curation model. I mean, I've just bought exactly um, that. Yeah, I, I I've just bought a Christmas present for someone, and I bought it from a kitchen homewares shop that I know in London mm. because that's the plate. Rather than go into Amazon and search for kitchen knives, which is going to get me a million results, I either know the exact specific model that I want, and even then it's going to be a nightmare, and you'll accidentally buy ten instead of one, or you'll get a lifetime supply or something. The accidentally buy ten instead of one is definitely something that's happened to me countless yeah. times. Yeah, everyone does that <laughs> all the time. Or you get the big one. You get the big one, and you thought you were getting a small yeah. one or something. Or you thought you're getting a real Eames chair, and you get like a miniature model, which has also definitely happened to me. <laughs> that sits nicely on your desk. <laughs> this, this is the Zoolander problem. Yeah, um, it's a chair for ants. <laughs> <laughs> oh goody, I now I know why it was so affordable. Yeah, it's only $200 for an Eames lounger. Okay, wonder why. So all of which meandering and vague, vague, vague waffling gets us to this sense of like infinite product, infinite media. How do you find, how do you, how do you buy? And you know, yeah. again, the slide that I keep using is, you know, in the past as a retailer or a brand, you've had all these different budgets. So there was rent and there was shipping and there was advertising and marketing and pricing and returns and so on. And now these are all one budget. Do I put, do we put the money into Instagram or into shipping or into pricing? Um, they all, they all kind of blow into one. So that's, I think, an interesting thing. It's tied to that curation also, isn't it? To your point, like, again, like, who do you, who do you trust to give you? Yeah, that, that curated yeah. Um, idea. The other thing that I thought that was interesting thinking about the role of social media apps in all of this is we've all, we always know this, well, we've always known this, that the role of social or the, the, the aim for all of these social apps is how long can someone mm. spend on their app browsing? And now it feels like, and I yeah. may be wrong with this, but it definitely felt like, it feels like it's taking a little bit from the gaming industry of it's also not how long can you spend on the app, but also how much money are you going to spend with us here whilst you're staying? So it's not just browsing and consuming it. Mm. What are you going to, you know, are you going to spend another 20 minutes here and buy a couple yeah. more products, which feels like a, a page ripped out of the, the the playbook of any gaming successful game. Yeah. Well, this is, there's a, for a number of reasons, that prompts another Tell thing me. on my sticky of, of things to talk about, which is Mr. Beast. Yes. Um, Look at this one on the roll. Um, well, yeah. So, um, you know, one of the sort of things I've sort of poked away recently was to try and I'm, I'm when I make we did a podcast once about how I make charts or how to think about yes. charts. And one of the one of the questions I always ask is like, if you just, you know, if you tell me this is like I've made a chart of anchor of their financials for the last five years, it's what's it's one point seven billion dollars last year. Okay, we kind of we kind of know what that means. But if you if, if if I say to you, Mr. Beast has X million views, you don't really know what that means, or don't have like a mental model to compare it to. Mm. And so what I what he wanted to do was because Netflix would use release these numbers for how many hours of viewing their shows get. And so, what I wanted to do was to compare Mr. Beast viewing in the last week, say. To how many views a TV and Netflix show gets? Like, what does that number look like? And it turns out you have to make a bunch of assumptions because Netflix gives you views but not duration. 
So the view might be, you know, there's a whole, if you're in the ad industry, there's a whole bitchy conversation about what counts as a view and does, you know, does half a second when the video was, sc you'd scroll past the video count yeah, as a view. Yeah, define a view for me, but, please. So yeah. yeah, exactly. And how long of a view? But, it, you know, if, depending on whether you think he gets like one minute per view or six or seven minutes per view, it looks like Mr. Beast in toto would sort of count as like a top 10 to top 15 Netflix show on a weekly, rolling weekly basis and sometimes more than that and so obviously there's a hook in there about duration there's a thing in here around something i talk about every week which is netflix as netflix is a tv company not a tech company because all the questions that it poses are tv industry questions and it hasn't actually changed what a tv show is mm. it's just bought more of them and made more yeah. of them mr beast clearly is not a tv show it's something else and, you know, Mr. Beast, in a sense, is more disrupt and YouTube collectively is more disruptive of the much more disruptive of the nature of TV mm -hmm. itself than Netflix is. And Netflix is basically a new distribution channel that's found a new way of making money from selling TV shows. And so it buys more TV shows, but it's a TV company, whereas YouTube is some other thing that changes what that market is. And then, of course, they pay out 45% of the ad revenue to the creators, which makes puts their budget somewhere, sort of makes them sort of top three, top four. If you count that as programming budget comparable to the US media companies, that would put them sort of between Netflix and Paramount or something like that. Paramount, which used to be called Viacom. Um, and then there was the other, but the other aspect of, of Mr. Beast, of course, um, and I'm talking about him like this is a new thing, but obviously like TV create, YouTube creators have been around for a decade. It's just interesting looking at him specifically. Well, he's he's unique in that he's one of the few out there with over a hundred million followers on one single channel. Which yeah, he's is, now the biggest, yeah. the biggest, the biggest account I think. But what he also did a couple of weeks ago is that he's raised at a one and a half, or trying to raise at like a one to one and a half billion dollar valuation, and he's built building like all these other businesses around it. So there is, mm -hmm. you know, there was Mr. Beast Burger. You know, it's not. It's not just merch. It's not just yeah. merch. It's other. It's actual product that he create thinks about creating around it. He he didn't he. I think he broke a record when he opened his hamburger shop, which was in a t traditional mall. They yeah, I think like he 10, sold like eight. People. Yeah, but no, he, he sold eight thousand burgers in a day, which I think is the record of how many burgers a single place has sold, which is insane. Yeah. And people were queuing for hours to get a Mr. Beast burger. And there's um, a, I mean, if you, you know, there's a sort of, there's two parts there because there is, there's sort of maybe three parts because one of them is, you know, the devotion to the craft of trying to understand what will get views and how the algorithm works and how you optimize it and having a five person thumbnail team and all of that kind of stuff. And the second is um, having a kind of a creative spark of what, of a, making a certain kind of thing that people will want to watch because it's not just optimizing that it's, it's not just optimizing the idea it's the idea and he's doing both of those and then there's of course thinking about how you can proliferate that into a business and i like i think just to to pull on the thread of the first piece because i think mr beast is very very well known for simplest being very overly simplistic in the right way of just like at the end of the day, what does the YouTube algorithm want? It wants you to click on a video and it wants you to stay mm. on that video. And what he's saying is if I'm seen as someone whose videos are always clicked on and my retention rate is really high, that's that's what the algorithm wants. He's like, he he's very yeah. good at breaking it down. It's more than likes, it's more than comments, is what does the retention rate look like and what does the quick click-through rate? If you can, and to your point, yes. he's been very analytical of what does it take. And he looks at where's the drop-up rate in a video? Got it, what went wrong there? How do we edit it? Which is that, yeah. And 
yeah that craft I mean, is insane it, it's very simple it's like if i'm going to give an island away to one of these hundred people then say that in the first few seconds of the video i'm going to give the island away to so there was a joke about um that podcasts that the the most secure encryption created in the tech industry is anything you say in the <laughs> podcast and no one will hear it. No one goes there. Which is one, <laughs> one reason we try and keep these to half an hour. Um, um, one last point, because I, just to finish off, Mr. Beast, because there's something that I've been toying with that was said by another YouTube creator, mm. which was Marquez Brownlee, who's a tech um, YouTuber, has yep. been for over a decade, very, very well known. Um, and he was thinking, he said he was on a uh, someone else's podcast and he was saying, and I think it's the same for Mr. Beast who openly said this, is that they see YouTube as the final destination, not a stepping stone to traditional media. So what he's doing is mm. not to be picked up by a Vox or not, you know, in the case of Marquez Brownlee. And his co-host was saying, well, you know, if you look at someone else like Emma Chamberlain, who's another YouTuber, very similar to Mr. Beast, who's created all of these other businesses, she's become less known for YouTube but she's now created her her coffee line. She's now, you know, interviewing people at the Met Gala. She's a Louis Vuitton um, mm. ambassador. And so the other guy was saying, well, it looks like Emma Chamberlain, ha Emma Chamberlain sorry, has used YouTube as a stepping stone. But then they came to the conclusion, but wait a minute, if you look at where we're consuming all of this content, her coffee brands, her interviews at the Met Gala, her interviews with Louis Vuitton, we're all consuming this on YouTube, which I thought was a really mm. interesting I don't know of where the world is going of people not only looking at YouTube as a stepping stone, but actually the final destination of where they want to create their content. Yeah. And even if YouTube does become the first stepping stone to creating multiple businesses, where we are all consuming these businesses is back on YouTube. So there's like a, a really mm. interesting cyclical, I don't know how to explain what it is, but there's something really interesting for me that's happening of even if YouTube is the starting yeah. point, we still end up back on YouTube consuming more content. Just brilliant. Yeah, that's that, that that's the kind of the loop to the platform. So yes. another you know, another segue. Um, another segue. I was going to talk about merchant merchant media. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, so merchant 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 media retail media. Um, and so you know, I and a bunch of other people sort of eighteen months ago noticed this line in Amazon's accounts called other that was shooting up, and um because they give this other revenue and that they said was predominantly ads. And then at the end of last year, they broke it out and it was all ads. And they did, I think, $31 billion last year. And they've done like $36, $37 billion in the last 12 months, um, which gets them to being like a top three, top four media owner um, mm. globally. It's like um, Alphabet, Meta, ByteDance, um, and then I think Amazon or maybe one other. I haven't got the chart in front of me. This will be published next week in my presentation. Um, which I will read it, it every a, single slide of. It gets, it, it, yes, I mean, well, I will, there will be a, <laughs> there'll there'll be be a, a test. test. That will be the next episode. Um, it'll be like your citizenship. <laughs> test. Um, and, and then um, basically um, the same revenue as Amazon Prime. It's also probably this. It's it's also probably the same operating income, although they don't break it out as AWS. And if you think about, you know, what are the margin on this thing? AWS has got like a monster capex budget, and like all the engineers and so on actually running it. The ad business has found money. Like, what's the incremental cost to Amazon of running that? Like, they've got a whole bunch of salespeople in New York, but like, there's no incremental technology engineering cost or very little incremental cost to, to running that. So it's got to have at least the same margins as as, as Alphabet, which is like sixty percent operating margin if you exclude the R and D. Um, and there's no capex. There's no incremental capex. So this thing is almost certainly producing significant, substantially more cash flow than AWS. Um, and meanwhile, everyone else is doing it too. So you run across from Walmart to a like Walmart and Walgreens and Target and people like that. Basically, everyone realised number one, 
we have real estate, which is inventory on the screen mm -hmm. in a way that it isn't really in the store. It's, it's, it's theoretically, you could put ads up in a store, but in practice, you kind of can't, that doesn't really work, but you have absolutely, you can put ads up in your app or on your website. That's in, you have inventory in a way you didn't before. Secondly, you have first party data with a shift away from cookies, a shift to privacy. You have this wonderful phrase, permissioned user data. You, at the very least, you have the address. You probably have a credit card. You have an email address. Yeah, you have something. Even stepping back, you have some intent. Like yeah. this person is searching for washing powder. You can show them a washing powder ad. So even if you've got no user data, you've got some intent. You've got some generalized intent data around them. Um, but then it's also Uber. You know, I'm sure, I don't know if you've noticed now, Uber has apps in the ads in the app. And, and again, they have location. They have some indication as to where you live in the city. They have some indication about your income because they like can see how much money you spend on it um, and what neighborhood. Yeah, and they can make a bunch to. of deductions from that. Yeah. Yeah, so they can do a bunch of They don't have to do the right infamous ride of shame thing that they did 10 years ago. You know, so do you, you remember this? Ride, I remember they, you talking about this. The, the Uber ride, they published a blog post that they said, we've analyzed our user data and we found all the people who got an Uber, clearly spent a night somewhere. Yeah, they don't seven or eight a.m. the next and day. Got, and, and the next morning got an Uber home. Like, yay, well done you. And everybody said, wait, you really shouldn't be collecting that data. And they and their blog post magically disappeared. <laughs> anyway, so this this is this is like this is going to be like fifty, sixty billion dollars this year. Because, you know, Walmart did a billion dollars and they're aiming for four billion dollars. And Uber's aiming for a billion dollars. So there's this whole new ad segment that doesn't, I mean, this is another thing I tend to often talk about, is like you're kind of, what is advertising? Is, is that advertising? If a car dealer used to be buying 30 pages in the local newspaper and now they've got a website with all their inventory and they buy one search ad, that's not in the advertising statistics anymore. Um, slotting fees in retailers were not in the advertising statistics. They might have been in the marketing stats, but not even that. Now, what what is it when you're buying placement on Amazon? You know, if you are anchor and you used to, anchor, the old model would have been you would pay a margin to you would sell at wholesale price to Best Buy. So Best Buy would get a 50% margin out of which Best Buy would be paying for the rent and the stores and the salaries and everything else and giving Anchor a wholesale price. But Anchor instead sells direct, but they don't save money by not having stores because they give all the money to Amazon and Instagram, either for shipping or, and FedEx and UPS. So it's all going on shipping or, 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 or placement. It's going to Amazon. They're paying Amazon not a retail, but it, but is that the retailer margin or is that advertising? And, you know, there's just going to be this whole antitrust thing of, oh, my God, it's it's, it's completely illegitimate for Amazon to be charging you um, to appear in search results. What you mean, as opposed to charging you to be on the shelf? <laughs> Which is it? Yeah, that that redefining that redefining what we consider to be part of that advertising budget is really interesting. So Walmart doesn't charge you advertising fees, but it charges you to be on the shelf because but so Amazon doesn't charge you to be on the shelf, or they charge you much less because they've got infinite shelf space and they charge you shipping, but then they charge you to appear in the first page of the search results. And it's all it's <laughs> all about eyeballs. Yeah. It's all about do people see your product? Yes. So which is that? 
And mm. so all of that is sort of fascinating and interesting as a as a as a question of definitions. And so I wrote a sticky and I was going to talk about chips and generative ML. Um, but I suppose we'll get that to get to that next week. Here we are. There's a teaser yeah. for next week. No, I like that. Next week, we will talk about chips. There you go. There's a teaser. What yeah, else cool. have we missed? Yeah, next week, we'll talk about chips. But you know what's interesting is I, I I read a blog post from someone, and I can't remember for the life of me the name, that said something along the lines of, am I still excited about tech the way mm. I used to be? And I think what's interesting with all of these stories that we've just laid out is there's so much to be excited mm. about tech. It's just we need to dig a little bit deeper or they are again or for next week places. look in different places exactly it's not the stuff that's front and center but it's like it's the logistics of things it's just like the shifting of habits it's where we look mm. how we consume things all of that is changing and i personally find all of this actually really exciting but i think there's an amount of effort proactive effort to be done to actually find these stories and, and focus on these stories there is there's a sort of there's a very kind of you know schematic way of thinking about this which is there's a period when there is one paradigm shift going on whether that's the growth of mm. pcs or the growth of the web or the growth of smartphones and everything is based all the growth of social and search or cloud and everything is basically some aspect of that and you know for the last at least five years we've been thinking well look like smartphones have kind of happened and we get that get it now smartphones and app stores are kind of done and there's not that much fundamentally new that's happening i mean they keep getting better but you know what is the next what is the next thing which gets you to this conversation about metaverse and web3 and vr and ar and um ai machine learning now now generative machine learning which is another thing thing that's interesting and so that's like what's the next s curve We've had one S curve and there's a period, the S curve, you know, there's a period when it's slow and everyone thinks it's a dumb idea. There's a period when it's very exciting and then there's a period when it's flattening out and it's boring. Like PCs have been boring for 20 years. Smartphones have been kind of boring for five or six years. So what's the next S curve? But the other conversation is, well, what happens when everyone has this? And that's really what we've been talking about. Like what happens when everyone's online? Yeah. And that all those changes. And she in and it gets you all of these other things that happen as a consequence of that. I love it. That's great. There we are. That's a good way to finish. And we stay true to our promise. 30 minutes. Yep. Yeah. 30 minutes and 27 seconds. <laughs>